The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Bart Walker. How in the world are you today? Welcome in. It's a Thursday, and uh, we're well into fall. Feels like fall. Starting to look like fall. Uh, if you're in the right place, it looks even more like fall. Uh, the right place would be New Hampshire and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, we were up in Chattanooga last weekend, and I was expecting it to look a little more like fall, but I guess we didn't go farther if we'd gone more maybe up into the tops of Gatlinburg and stuff like that, maybe it looks like fall there. But uh, pretty soon it's going to all look like fall. And this area has some of the most beautiful fall colors once it hits. Uh, if you're new to the area, especially uh, in Cannon County, uh, or if you go out to I-24, the Buchanan exit uh, on over toward Woodbury, uh, you see some of the most beautiful call, fall colors there. Uh, and and the, the hillsides and the valleys and everything, it almost feels like uh, like you're up in Gatlinburg or something. Uh, inexpensive way to, to, to get there and enjoy that. And uh, Justin Stefanski is with us this morning from the uh, Ag Center. Justin, good morning to you. Good morning. Good to be here. Uh, are you seeing... A, a lot of fall colors yet? Or? Not quite yet. I think we're still a couple weeks out. You know, it's been so dry here recently. I was afraid we may not have much fall color. I'm, I'm worried that the leaves will go from green to brown and to the ground. I'm seeing a lot on the ground yeah. already. So uh, that usually, uh, I, I guess, right after the colors hit, uh, you start seeing them on the ground in big yes, numbers. Yes, sir. Yeah, usually once they start turning, it's not long. I mean, we may have a, a weak window of peak fall color. And some seasons, it's not even that long. Yeah, yeah, so I'm hopeful, though. We have a little rain forecasted for today. Maybe it'll keep those leaves on the trees a few weeks longer, and hopefully we'll get some beautiful colors here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, everybody's ready for that uh, fall colors. We were talking with Gloria Christie a little earlier today, and they are all set to take some photographs of people uh, enjoying fall with the fall colors around them. Let me ask you this. Uh, with fall coming along, uh, are there any things that people need to think about uh, getting rid of the leaves? We've had some people say, don't get rid of the leaves. Oh, I, I don't know what to do. Do we get rid of them? Do we get them? What do we do? Well, there's a couple ways we can look at it. You know, if you have, in my situation, I have large oak trees in my backyard. And if I let those leaves hit the ground and leave them there, I'll have a foot of leaves all winter long. Now, any grass that's underneath there is certainly not going to be very happy. But in most cases, I will try to mulch the leaves if I can with my lawnmower, or I'll rake them actually into my landscaping beds and let them decompose. They turn into great mulch and good composted soil. So there's a lot of people that will argue against raking up leaves because they're a great overwintering source for insects and, and certain mammals. Um, you know, they certainly are beneficial to wildlife. 
the worst thing you can do is probably rake them up and put them in those bags and set them on the tree lawn. Uh, that to me is a waste of resources and it's certainly not good for the environment. So if you can rake them up and put them in strategic spots like I do at my house, that's certainly one option. Or if you're fortunate where you don't have too many trees and it's just a thin layer of leaves, if you don't mind looking at them, I would leave them on the ground because they will certainly break down and they'll add a great layer of, of organic matter to your soil. Now, if, if you have just a few, do you want to go over them with the lawnmower and mulch them up? I always thought if you left big leaves on the ground, it would kill the grass. It certainly can, absolutely. You know, that's usually what I'll do, too. Any areas that I won't rake up into my flower beds, I'll, I'll get the mulching blades on the mower. And, you know, it breaks those leaves down to a smaller size. And it will certainly help the grass for sure. But yeah, if it's real big leaf surfaces and they get real wet and, you know, in the middle of winter, those leaves will be thick and wet and dense and any turf that's under there is certainly going to struggle. So yeah, if you can mulch them with your lawnmower, that would certainly be beneficial. We have a listener who uh, writes, they said they moved here from East Tennessee up in the uh, hills of uh, outside of the uh, Indian reservation. And they always heard that, uh, their Indian brothers would, uh, would, would grow grass in the snow and thought it was a good idea. Uh, is that a wives' tale, or has that grow been proven or disproven? No. Well, certain I turf mean, types. The, you know, throw the seeds in the snow. Well, you know, there, there's, there's a challenge with that. You know, I don't know if that's something that certainly we wouldn't promote today. Uh, you know, a lot of grass seeds, you know, we usually say, don't sow any seed after Halloween. You know, those are the conditions that I are ideal. That. Okay. Yeah, Halloween's kind of our, our end of season sow for grass date. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of grass needs conditions that are mild to germinate. You know, you're looking at daytime temps in the 60s and 70s and nighttime temperatures anywhere from 40 to 60. Once you get past those points, uh, you know, you may get some germination, but those tender seedlings, if we have a freezing event, they certainly will have a chance of dying if they're not well established with root systems. Basically, that's what we're trying to achieve. By sowing grass in October, you know, the conditions are mild, those seeds will pop up and they'll be able to set out some tiny roots and then they'll overwinter a whole lot easier. So trying to sow it into the snow, I certainly think you would probably get some seed to germinate, but how long it would last, I don't know. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Uh, follow up on that question, this person, uh, another person says, since you're talking about folklore, uh, they were wondering, they had always heard that uh, some folks would used to plant uh, dead fish. That's mm -hmm. what it says. With, the, <laughs> And they don't say if it was gardens or grass, but why would you put dead fish out well, there? Well, that is a great source of fertilizer. And believe it or not, you know, the first the first uh, settlers that came to North America, uh, you know, the Jamestown colony, there's stories of the Native American population there befriended the settlers and said, here, you need to do this with your crops. Their crops were struggling so badly that they gave them you know, the fish innards and the fish parts and said, this is what we do. We plant this in the furrows and in the rows and it really? helped their crops because as those fish decompose in the soil, it's an excellent source of fertilizer. So, so there is something to that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I don't necessarily recommend doing it today. That'd be a stinky mess, I think. But <laughs> it was certainly, it wasn't just folklore. It was a real thing. And it truly did help the first settlers that came to this, this continent survive those first couple of winters. So that's something you would do in the garden. Is that right? You do it in the garden. You, I mean, any, any plant would benefit from even this. grass grass would benefit sure i mean it would be more concentrated to just those areas but certainly yeah. it's probably the most benefit in a garden setting uh, what would you do do you you don't just lie it on the ground uh, what do you till it in or yeah you would basically want it to be within the soil you know you'd want to probably plant it down several inches 
where the root zone is, basically. That's where those roots need to be feeding on that fertilization that's occurring as those fish break down. So, yeah, oh, several okay. inches under the soil, absolutely. So if you were putting it in your yard and had not been getting uh, a good stand of grass, when you, what is the thing that go, rolls through your yard and plugs? The aeration, aerator, yeah. yeah. Is that when you would do it? Um, if you were going to use fish? Yeah. Um, I, I guess in theory that would be a, an optimal time to do that, yeah. That would help uh, get that into that soil surface. But again, I certainly wouldn't advocate for throwing out fish in your yard for grass. There's better. How long would it smell pretty right? Yeah, I think it would be pretty disgusting. Yeah, your neighbors <laughs> would probably not be happy. What are they doing? And every stray door? cat within a quarter mile would be in your front yard. <laughs> kitty (laughs) (laughs) or possums or any other animal that was curious yeah well moles already find their ways around (laughs) pretty well so i wonder if it would attract them or distract them (laughs) well yeah that's debatable maybe there's a research opportunity for ut (laughs) (laughs) our phone number is 615-893-1450 if you have a comment just text it to us or a question text it to us 615-893-1450 and uh, we have uh, a lot of issues right now with uh, the season change. I guess that's always an exciting time of the year. You don't know exactly when to stop doing one thing and mm-hmm. start up the next. Uh, is there a bad time to stop mowing your yard? Uh, or should you just sort of do it as long as it's needed? Do it as long as it's needed. And you know as well as I do, uh, you know, the fall and winters here, early winters, they're unpredictable. You know, we think back to last year, it was very mild until that Christmas Eve, you know, December 23rd freeze. So, you know, I was mowing my lawn all the way up until December 24th last year. And if you have a certain type of turf grass, a cool season grass, it'll grow all through the winter. So there are certain folks, myself included, I'll be mowing grass pretty much all through the winter and into spring. So just keep mowing it as long as it keeps growing. Here's a person who says they have free firewood. They say it's down, but it's dry and green. Uh, Is that something that people could use now? Uh, Yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they can take it home and let it age. You'd want to let it dry out a little bit. but How long would you dry it? Uh, It probably needs to dry out at least six or seven months. It's probably ideal. So this is something you'd get now and use next season? Use it for next fall, absolutely. Okay, all right. So, uh, good point there. Uh, what, uh, what time should they start renovating and, and preparing their lawn equipment to uh, be put away for the year? And what should they do to protect it for the next season? You know, a lot of things that people don't realize is that start your, if you have a, uh, a riding lawnmower, start that sucker up through the winter. I made this mistake last year. I let my zero-turn mower sit in the shop all winter long, didn't start it up, and my battery was dead when I came to Uh-oh. start it in the spring. So, you know, simple things like that. Uh, going in, there's some winterizer treatments you can put into your gas tank. You know, a lot of this ethanol gasoline now, it does not stay as stable or it doesn't store as well into the mower's engines, uh, and it can cause some issues there with clogging up fuel filters and whatnot. So having some of those winter fuel additives are good. And just doing some routine maintenance, you know, get under the deck, clean out that grass. You don't want all that thick grass to be clumped up there all winter long. It could cause some mold issues and whatnot. So, uh, you know, keep using your mower, though, until the grass stops growing. But certainly, you know, you want to make sure you take care of the engine. That's probably the biggest thing you want to look out for in the wintertime and the battery. Here's an interesting question. Times are changing. This person says they were in one of our advertisers uh, earlier in the summer. And they had an electric riding mower, Mm -hmm. and they got it and have loved it ever since. But 
that's something you don't need to uh, fool with too much, they've said. Throughout the season, they just plug it in and it, it goes. Uh, what kind of maintenance should they do? You know, I'm not as well-versed on electric or battery-operated mowers. I would certainly consider, though, you still have blades. You still have a mowing deck. You know, make sure you clean that deck out. It's a great time to sharpen those blades. Those blades will get dull. It's amazing how quickly a lawnmower blade will dull just through regular grass mowing. Uh, so that's an opportunity for you. If, you. if you're not using it through the winter, get those blades off or take it to a professional, have them sharpen the blades. Um, you know, look at your tire pressures, you know, things like that. So there are still some conventional lawnmower parts on those electric or battery-powered mowers. So certainly look at some of those, you know, blades, wheels, mowing deck, things like that. Make sure all that's in good working order for the spring. I'm glad you mentioned the blades because that's one thing that I was always negligent of. Uh, you and with, me with, both. With push mowers, <laughs> yeah. uh, I would just... I'd, I'd use it for years, and yep. then I wonder, why is it not doing as well as it used to? And, of course, the blade was dull as yeah, can absolutely. be. Uh, and, and I would get a new blade instead of it would just stick a new blade yep. on it. Uh, how often should you have it sharpened? Uh, and, and I never was really good at sharpening them. I could make them good and dull, but I couldn't sharpen. <laughs> uh, what do you take them off and just take them to the hardware store or something? Well, you could take them off, or if you're if you're careful, you can use uh, ramps. You know, this is what I use for my zero turn mower. I, I pull it up on the ramps, and I'm able to get underneath the mower. Now, this is dangerous. Obviously, you want to make sure you know what you're doing. But certainly, if you can get them off, you know, sharpening probably twice a year would be a good minimum. I'll usually I, I do it now. I haven't always done this, but I've I've learned that of my ways exactly because <laughs> I had the same issue. You you mow one year it's great and the next year you're noticing some grass clippings that you know those grass edges they don't really look as sheared but I'll, I'll sharpen mine in the spring before the season starts and I'll probably take my blades off here in a few weeks and do it again now Mitchell whenever he's been on in the past uh, when we start talking about lawnmowers he loves those uh, the old-fashioned turn blades like like my grandparents oh, used yeah. to have. Uh, the rotary style. Yeah. Uh, is that still, I guess it is still popular. Well, you see them used on golf courses. You know, that, well, that type of a blade right setup. There. Yep. You know, those are going to give you the most, the, the optimum cutting conditions. It's going to be by a rotary blade. They get low to the ground. They're as sharp as can be. And you think a conventional lawnmower blade has one blade surface, whereas those rotary mowers, they're making contact with blades almost continually because they have multiple blades within that roller. So, yeah, they are still used. Now, the old school ones, I remember I grew up in the city in Cleveland, and some of the old-timers still had the old-fashioned push kind, and they'd be well, out in their yard. they still yards, sell them. And they still sell them. You can still buy them. I considered getting one for my backyard. I have a little putting green out in my backfield, and I thought, maybe this will work, but it just didn't get quite low enough for the deck height. But, yeah, those are still out there, and, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to burn some calories, that's a great yeah. way to do it. Raleigh Holden up on the square at Holden Hardware. I love going in that place. It's like stepping back in time. Yeah. The old wooden floors. And, and oh, you, yeah. can, you, you just feel fun. It's just fun. It's history. And he has those push mowers, mm -hmm. uh, which are great. So, uh, and he also has sleds. Uh, we probably need those. I think this winter we're going to need them. I've heard It's my some prediction. My oak trees right now are so full of acorns. You know, I always use the trees as my barometer. Yeah. My walnuts and my oak trees. My goodness gracious, I can't walk three feet without nearly tripping in my backfield because there's so many seeds and, and fruits that have fallen. So I think when trees put off a lot of acorns or a lot of walnuts, this is just me speaking from my own personal experience. Yeah. There's no research to back this up at all, but I certainly think we may be in for a snowy winter this year. 
you have any persimmons? Uh, I don't right? have persimmons. Okay, because I've heard a lot of people opening those. And looking at that, yeah. There, is it a spoon or is it a knife or is it a The shape you, of it. And, and they're seeing a lot of spoons. Yep. Which is shovels for the yeah, snow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty interesting stuff. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of truth to those. I think there is too. Absolutely. What about woolly worms? Have you yeah. seen many? Uh, you know, I haven't seen darker... as many this year as I usually do. So, but the ones that I have seen, they've been jet black. I mean, they've been ah, all black. So that so. goes right along. Absolutely. So I think we're in for a, a cold, snowy winter. Tell us, uh, all of you, if you have seen woolly worms. If you've seen the persimmons, what did you find? Uh, acorns and what else was uh, it? Black walnuts. My black, black walnuts, walnuts have just been absolutely abundant this year. So, you know, if you're seeing some of those, let us know if you are finding that. Uh, and, and has it been true in previous years as well? Uh, number to text or, or call us. A lot of people don't like to text. If you want to, we, we'll take phone calls too. Uh, and do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> 615-893-1450. Same number for both talking or texting. 615-893-1450. Uh, a listener's wanting to add some color to their yard, especially when the leaves all fall off and things start looking a little dreary. Mm -hmm. What should they add to be colorful? There's two great plants that are out there that will be flowering throughout the winter. Are violas or pansies? Violas or pansies. Violas or pansies. They're both related. Violas will have a smaller flower. Pansies is a little larger. Beautiful colors. They're usually purple, white, yellow, orange, you name it. Sometimes there are a variation of colors. And these plants, they really love the conditions in, in fall, early winter, and then in the springtime, all the way through summer, they'll just keep on blooming. So it gives you a little splash of color when everything else is, is brown and gray. Now, are they pretty easy to take care Extremely of? Extremely easy. You just don't want to overwater them. A lot of people make the mistake. They start throwing water on them in the fall when it's real dry. But other than that, you know, a little, little granulated fertilizer here and there, but you don't even have to do that. They are very easy to take care of. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. Justin Stefanski is with us this morning. He's an extension agent with the Rutherford County Agricultural Extension Service over on John Weiss Boulevard. Tomorrow's one of the farmer's markets. We'll be back and talk about that. Not too many left to the end of this month. And that's almost here. Talk Radio WGNS. Putting the power of your free speech into action. On air and online at WGNSRadio.com. Hi, this is Peter Demas. One of the things that we've done years ago is we've been able to do our orders like our pastas and many other items that we used to be able to put them in large pans and now we have a catering team that will even deliver it to your home. We can drop it off for you, set it up, or they can come in and pick it up. Look up our catering menu on www.demasrestaurants.com. This is Peter Demas at Demas's Restaurant, 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Here in Tennessee, most dogs and cats benefit from year-round flea and tick prevention. Here at Animal City, we are able to help. This is Amanda at Animal City, inviting your family to come do business with my family. So make sure to adventure through our small animal department downstairs. Your next furry friend may be waiting for you. Hedgehogs, guinea pigs, hamsters, and so many other friends. We're celebrating our 33rd anniversary. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street, Murfreesboro. 
Good morning. Still a little bit of traffic by. I'm trying to get in from Rutherford County, Murfreesboro, and it's moving right now on 24 westbound up by Bell Road, Haywood Lane. Still a lot of volume there by the airport coming in through Hermitage, Donaldson on 40 westbound at Donaldson Pike. That's what we're checking out live. Still some slow traffic at times. 65 southbound down through Millersville as you come through that section of Sumner County. Prince's Hot Chicken is hiring at all four locations. You can check out that awesome menu today at princesshotchicken.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. We'll see a few spotty rain showers possible late this afternoon. Partial sunshine develops a high in the low 70s. Southwest winds at 10 to 15 miles per hour, gusting as high as 25. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 58. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. When the weather's at its worst, we're at our best. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro. FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, TV 11. Hey, welcome back. Happy birthday to Jack Britton, our winner of that delicious banana pudding from Slick Pig Barbecue. Our good neighbor of the day is Anthony Fishback. Anthony gets flowers from Jenny Harrison and the family at Ryan Flowers Coffee and Gifts over on Academy Street. You can get yours there, too. Go by and say hello to Jenny. The thing about Anthony, the person who nominated him, said he's always loving people for who they are, never judging and showing people the right way. He just encourages others. We need more people like that. Anthony, thanks for all you're doing. I tell you, I, I just happened to be over uh, at uh, one of our restaurants yesterday where the lady had just been nominated as the good neighbor. She was glowing. I mean, uh, and uh, when I went there, I heard you on the radio this morning. And she, she just smiled and my wife got nominated to be the good neighbor oh, several cool. years ago and let me tell you that made her month oh yeah she was thrilled if you see somebody that really impresses you going the extra mile maybe just encouraging people being that sunshine on a cloudy day absolutely let us know who they are we need more about more people like amen that. to that so uh, our phone number again 615-893-1450 justin Stefanski is with us from the Rutherford County Agricultural Extension Service. Justin, we were mentioning that we're almost at the end of the season for the farmer's market. Yes, last, sir. Last, uh, what is it, Friday? Next Friday will be the last market next day. Next Friday, wow. So you got three more days. you got this Friday, Tuesday, and next Friday, and then it is Don't it for the season. It. Don't miss it. Wow. That farmer's market is so awesome. I tell you what, if you folks, if you haven't been out there, Tuesdays, it's an excellent opportunity to meet the producers here in the local area. But then Fridays, we have artisans and craftspeople on one side of the community center. And then we have food trucks. Uh, Heather Lambert, our market manager, has done a fantastic job this year of getting food trucks out there. So, uh, you know, at the market is an awesome opportunity for you guys to, to see some of our local farmers and producers and some of our local artisans as well. Now, you have a lot of different things at the farmer's market people don't think about. Mm-hmm. We have uh, occasionally... Some of the master gardeners on the air with us. Mm-hmm. 
they're out there answering questions also. Absolutely. So over at the uh, the community center right outside there, there's a pavilion with our demonstration gardens, and that's where the Master Gardeners have a booth set up just about every market session, and they'll be out there to help answer questions, give you tours of the garden, uh, and uh, this is a good opportunity to talk about Master Gardeners. We're actually taking applications for the upcoming 2024 intern training program, so we'll take those applications through December 1st, uh, and that's an outstanding opportunity for anybody that's interested in gardening, for volunteering, giving back to the community, and to just being a part of an awesome organization. We have such a phenomenal group of Master Gardeners here in Rutherford County. Uh, it's a great social opportunity for folks to meet people if you're new to the area. And it doesn't matter whether you've been gardening for 30 years or if you have zero gardening experience, you know, this, this training program is designed to cater to everybody. And our members will, op will welcome you with open arms, basically. So they're great folks. Now, you mentioned intern training. What is, I've never heard it called. So the intern is, is the title for a, an individual before they become a, a badge-wearing certified Tennessee Extension Master Gardener. They're called an intern. So they have a year to complete the intern training course. It's 14 weeks. It'll start in January and run through April. And then after that, they have to get 40 hours of volunteer service at one of our approved projects. So we do things all across the community. We've got classes at the St. Clair Senior Center. We've got classes over at John Rice Boulevard. We do stuff at the farmer's market. You know, so there's many opportunities to gain those hours. So during that period before they become certified, we refer to them as interns. Okay. So in that period of, what did you say, 14 months? Well, they, it's, the, the class itself is 14 weeks, but once 14 they weeks, finish okay. that class, you know, they have to the end of that calendar year to, to maintain and get those 40 hours. And then they become a certified official green badge wearing Tennessee Extension Master Gardener, and they can brag about it for a lifetime. <laughs> now, <laughs> do they continue training, learning they do. things? Yep. So every year after that, it's 25 hours of volunteer service and eight hours of continuing education. So those eight hours would include anything. If you go to a UT seminar or a class, if you come to one of my classes, basically, if you're learning, you have to get eight hours of learning hours each year. So those are held here in town, or do you have to go out of town? Uh, a little bit of both. We do things locally here, but they can also go to one of the UT Gardens locations in Jackson, Crossville, or Knoxville. There's always seminars and garden talks there. So it's a great opportunity to travel and go on some cool field trips. Now, when you go to those gardens, I, I've heard about them, but I don't, I can't picture what it would be like. I imagine the one in Knoxville is huge. But let's say the one in Jackson, what, what is it It's like? just as big. So the really? one, yeah, it's, it's, it's over at the West Tennessee Research and Education Center, um, just on the outskirts of Jackson. They do a lot of row crop science there, but they have outstanding ornamental beds. So they have, it's kind of like a mini cheekwood. Uh, you know, they've got many, many landscaping beds, a lot of different art installations there. They try to do something creative each year. One year they used wine bottles, and they're always doing something that's creative. They have a big event there called Summer Celebration. It's held in July every year. It attracts thousands of people. So, And you don't have to be a master gardener to attend. If you're just interested in gardening, they do a giant plant sale there. And the same can be said for Crossville. There's a fall festival usually at the end of August. Then, of course, the UT Gardens there on campus, right down the street from Neyland Stadium. Don't go on a Saturday in the fall, I can tell you that. <laughs> traffic's going to be learn, a little... You learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, traffic's going to be a little rough, you know. You ever try to get out of Knoxville after a football game, you'll know. But any other day, you know, feel free to go down there. These gardens are open to the public. They're free of charge. They are an outstanding opportunity to, to learn and, and to really see some awesome sights. Now, is the enrollment in Master Gardeners, the intern program, 
Is it limited in it size? It is, yes. So we are currently taking applications through December 1st. Class is about half full. So if you're interested, I would certainly encourage you to uh, go to our website. It's rutherford.tennessee.edu, and there's a gardening tab there. And from there, you can download the application, or you can come by and see us at 315 John Rice Boulevard. Uh, just tell tell the friendly folks up front, Nadine or, or Melissa, that you'd like an application, and they will be glad to, to give you one. Now, how much does it cost money? I'm it does cost money, so it's $175. And what you get with that it it may seem like sticker shock but you get some exceptional educational resources you'll get a notebook that contains 14 chapters uh, you'll get lots of goodies, a license plate, a bag with some stuff in it. So a license plate? You'll get a Tennessee Master Gardener license plate. Once you complete the class, though, we, we keep it until you finish. So we don't want people driving around. Does this go on the front of you? It's it goes not on the, the front one, of the car, it, yeah. It doesn't eliminate you having to buy a license. No, we don't have an actual Master Gardener, you know, proper tag yet, but that may be in the works. So oh, cool. Stay, stay tuned for that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, so a word to the wise, if you are interested uh, there is a max size. You're about half full. About now. half full, so come by sooner than later, and we'll take applications through December 1st. And we actually do a slight interview process. Now, this could be intimidating for folks, but essentially one of our members will call you, and they just want to get to know you, basically. So they'll do a little interview with you, and then by about mid-December, we'll make the official you know, welcome invitations to those folks that have been accepted into the program. Sounds like a winner to me. It is. And uh, so don't wait around on that Head on over. We have a question here from a listener who says, I have had very good luck in the past, and they underline the word past, with irises. Mm -hmm. This year, none of them bloomed. This year, they were all green. They were there. They looked healthy, but nothing happened. What could I have done wrong? Nothing. I had the same problem at my house, and I'm a quote, unquote, expert, right? Unquote, expert. But, no, I think it was that freeze that we had on December 23rd. Oh, okay. I attributed it to that. Now, I don't know for sure if that's what caused it, but iris is pretty much widespread. A lot of folks did not have blooms. could also have been the case if you transplant or move irises. Sometimes they go into a two-year you know, it takes them two seasons to get reacclimated. So if you're dividing or splitting irises, which is, I did a lot of that last year. Um, you know, I had very few blooms. Now, lo and behold, I had an iris that was blooming last week in my garden. I have really? one garden bed that's confused. in a... confused. Yeah, well, I think there's some varieties of iris, and I've noticed around town here, uh, they will bloom in the fall occasionally. But sometimes, you know, plants can be tricked into blooming in the fall because the conditions mimic springtime so much. Have you ever been driving around town and mm-hmm. you've seen a cherry tree yeah. in full yeah. bloom in October or November? You know, we have the same day-length hours. Plants are very photosensitive, so the amount of daylight... The weather is very sensitive to those type of things. It can force blooms. But in terms of this individual with their irises, they didn't do anything wrong. I think it was really, you know, that those plants took a beating during that December 23rd freeze. So I'm very hopeful that you're, we're going to have double the amount of blooms come wow. spring of next okay. year. <laughs> so that's my so, prediction. If you uh, have iris and they did not bloom this year, it was not you. So don't beat up on yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Absolutely. Should you... Uh, divide those irises at a certain time or how often should you and tell us what does if you're new to town and have never had irises which by the way that's our state flower it is uh, so it's since it's the state flower, it must grow pretty well in Tennessee. You could put an iris on top of a concrete driveway and forget about it for a year and it would still grow which I have done believe have it or you? not okay. I have there was a situation somebody gifted me an iris and it sat in the corner of a driveway and I, I forgot about it it was underneath the uh, the chimney and that 
Iris stayed living, it was just fine. But they're very tough. Every couple of years, you should go in and divide them. Usually, we'll do it late summer, early fall. Now, when um, you say divide them, what what is that? So irises are a tuber, so they look like a very big root system. They'll be mm -hmm. a white, fleshy root system. You go in with a garden spade, you can dig up, dig up dig up a clump of them, and then you'll notice there'll be individual rhizomes that will have leaves coming off, and you can separate those rhizomes apart, and then they will redivide and create new clumps. And, okay. the, and if you don't divide them every few years, they get real thick, and they can tend to choke each other out. So it's always a good idea to, to try to thin them out. Again? Late when summer, early fall is the perfect okay. time to do it. So we've past that uh no you're probably still <laughs> you're probably still okay to do it now if you need okay. to yeah very good yeah our phone number is 615-893-1450 if you have a lawn or garden question or a comment or if you uh have a woolly worm story we'd love to hear from you this morning I, you know i we have not heard too many woolly worm stories this year no they've been quiet haven't they they have been yep uh there was a guy who was at the Ag Center for many years, Dwayne Trail, mm -hmm. who just had phenomenal woolly worm stories if it was <laughs> the right year. Yeah. Uh, but I remember there were some years where you just didn't see them. Yeah, I haven't seen many this year, but the ones that I have seen, you, know, you usually Dark. see them crawling yeah. across the road. And I no. always try to avoid hitting them. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to run them over. But they have been jet black. In your black. car, you can see them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty big. You know, they're about the size of your pinky. And they are very woolly. And, they, you know, if you've never seen a woolly worm, look it up online. And, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Now, are they strictly from this area? Or are they all over the south? Or are they I all over the nation? they're pretty prominent to the southeast. Southeast? Other okay. parts of the country may have them, you know. But definitely the southeast, we, we certainly have a lot of them. Okay. Uh, here's a listener who's saying they have not seen many snakes this year. Mm -hmm. And they're wondering, is that a sign of good winter, bad winter? Or is it a sign of anything? I don't know if it's related to a weather prediction. I don't, I'm not sure exactly. Um, you know, but our snake populations are certainly, you know, as habitat loss is a big problem here in Rutherford County, we got to think about what are they, what are they eating? You know, they're eating those field mice and, and the small mammals and, as we lose those natural field habitats, we're developing them in the neighborhoods and whatnots. You know, there's fewer snakes, I think. You know, reptiles and amphibians are taking a huge hit with all the development around here. So it could be just related to they've lost their food source, so the population is certainly going to decline. So if they decline here, would they be increasing in rural areas like Cannon County up in the hills? And Probably not. You know, the, the population is... They're not moving that way. They're not going to move out. No, they're pretty localized to where they're at. So unfortunately, if, if we're losing them in a certain spot, they're, they're gone forever. It's not like they're going to move to a more rural spot. Now, certainly you will get some migration, but not enough to really change the populations from one spot to the next. Okay. Uh, and is that true with uh, foxes? I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I've seen foxes around, but I have friends who yeah. live in certain areas of the county and they, they see foxes all the time. Yeah, I actually pulled in my driveway a few weeks ago. It was late in the evening coming home from a master gardener meeting and there was a red fox that greeted me right in the driveway. And I was, I was fearful he was going to have one of my chickens in his mouth, but he, he would his mouth was empty as far as I could tell. But, you know, the foxes certainly have moved out to the peripherals. But, you know, I see more and more foxes here in town now as well because really? okay. we have we have crossed into their realm. You know, we're developing in areas that historically were woodlands and grasslands. And, you know, it's not uncommon for us to see more foxes. The same is said for coyotes. You know, coyotes have become more of an urban type animal. Sure. And there's a lot of fear with coyotes, but I, I can 
you know, rest assured, you know, there's very few cases where coyotes have ever attacked humans. Occasionally they will go after a small dog. So certainly at night, if you don't have a fence, you know, be mindful of these things, but certainly don't, I don't want people to live in fear of foxes or coyotes because they're certainly a wonderful asset to our biological communities here in middle Tennessee. I remember uh, doing radio shows here in the mid eighties, I guess it was. And we would have people calling in uh, from around the Cason Lane area, mm-hmm. which at that time was it's a farmland. rural area. Yeah. Uh, and they were talking about how they could hear coyotes yeah. uh, screaming or whatever they call it. They at howl nighttime, at night. Howling yeah. at night. And I'm thinking of cowboy movies, <laughs> Roy Rogers and all that stuff. It's a little stuff. unnerving. I live out in Rockvale, out in the country there toward Eagleville. And it, at nighttime, there's two packs and they compete. They'll try to outhowl each other. Uh, so it's, you know, when I first moved out there, it was a little unnerving. But now I appreciate the sound of the howling. <laughs> Let's take a call. Good morning. You're on the air with Justin Stefanski. How are you today? I tell you, I, hold on just a second. I, I, we have some new telephone equipment, and I did that wrong. Let's try it this way. Let's try it now. Okay. Yeah, that's much better. That's much better. Yeah, I was just wanting to know about these armadillos. They, they just mm-hmm. dig my yard up all the time. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I'm seeing my yard uh, dug up, and I thought it was moles. So is, could it be it armadillos? It could be, absolutely be armadillos. I actually have some that live in a hole out in my backfield, and they make a heck of a mess, don't they? You know, they'll go in, and they'll, yeah. sn- they'll snout around every night, and you'll, you'll go out the next morning, and it looks like someone has taken about baseball-sized chunks of your soil and your grass and just they, they will they look yeah. for grubs and for worms you know the they're very hard to trap you know they've done studies how can we live trap them um they're notoriously difficult to get rid of unfortunately and the, the best practice to get rid of them is exclusion so if you see where they're living in a den or a nest or even sometimes living under a garden shed you know using hardware cloth or some type of a wire to keep them out do you know where they're living at have you been able to determine if they're living out in your yard I really don't know. There's a big barn right behind me. It's got a lot of hay in it. That could be I a possible source. Yep, absolutely. So I would go out there and try to scout around. I mean, usually they live in dens in the ground, but they could live around the foundation of the barn or somewhere out there. And basically just trying to make it unappealing for them to live there, and that will help. Get... Oh, what would he do? Well, like I said, if you can if you can exclude them from entering those areas. Oh, okay. You know, either you know getting the and it's a barn so it's hard to, to totally seal up but certainly if they're living under a foundation or somewhere around the the edges of the barn but you know armadillos are really hard to get rid of unfortunately i've been fighting it for two years at my place and no success <laughs> they are here <laughs> they are here and, and you know their range has changed you know we used to not see them you yeah know, 20 years ago there wasn't an armadillo in tennessee but now there's there i'm glad you mentioned that sir because uh, i i had thought it was moles but well, I didn't see the mole runs. Yeah. I just see the dug up place. Absolutely. So uh, not a whole lot. Not a whole like. lot, but exclusion. If you can figure out where they're at in the den, you know, if you can go in there and get rid of them, I hate to say that, but that, they don't ever come out in daylight. They do not. No, nope. they are nighttime pests for sure. Interesting. Well, Thank I you. Talk to you, buddy. Well, I wish I had a smoking gun answer for you, but unfortunately, there there are nuisance pests and they're hard to get rid of. <laughs> Thank you for calling. I, I, this is totally off the subject, but I went to see that there's 1937 Dracula, which is showing uh, at the theater right now over at the Premier Six. 
I, it was showing the other night. I, I went to see it. Interesting movie, and mm-hmm. it was inter- and it was clear as can be. I mean, wow. it's, it's the original. They had uh, digitized it, I guess, because the picture was good, the sound was good. It had armadillos coming really? out. I, I guess they were. They look spooky. Anyway. They do. They're an odd-looking animal, aren't they? And they were coming out of uh, out at night. Yep. Uh, and coming through the castle and oh all sorts of things. So if you have armadillos, uh, that's something that obviously this guy wasn't the first to discover. He's not the first and he won't be the last. Yeah, but exclusion is really key. And that goes for any backyard nuisance pest, you know, anything that's living under a shed or under a garden outbuilding or something like that. If you can use wire bury it in the ground a couple inches and that will help exclude them you basically don't want your yard to be an appealing place for them to build a den or have a nest basically we will be back in just a moment the final segment of our broadcast justin stefanski with us from the rutherford county agricultural extension service if you have a question or a comment for justin or if you have a just want to talk call us maybe you have some solutions that you found for armadillo issues We got some good neighbors, and we like bragging on them. Nominate a good neighbor every day. Put it in writing on WTNS. WTNS. AM. AM. FM. FM. Online. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come and see us for all your garden needs. We have everything you need to help that garden grow, and we also have what you need for landscaping and your lawns. We have black and brown mulch in bulk. Please come see us. And... As always, don't forget us for all your gifts, clothing, and pet needs. This is Tina Fox. Your co-op farm and home center is located at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. We'll see a few spotty rain showers possible late this afternoon. Partial sunshine develops a high in the low 70s. Southwest winds at 10 to 15 miles per hour, gusting as high as 25. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 58. Welcome back. We're having a party this morning. Want to say happy birthday to Jack Gritton. Jack is our winner of that delicious banana pudding from the Slick Pig Barbecue. Also, congratulations to Anthony Fishback. Anthony is our good neighbor of the day, receives flowers from Jenny Harrison and the family at Ryan Flowers Coffee and Gifts. The person who nominated Anthony Fishback says that he always loves people for who they are, never judging and showing people the right way. Anthony Fishback, positive person sounds like. Let us know about your good neighbors. Send us their name, address, and phone number. Tell us why they should be the good neighbor. Justin Stefanski is with us, as we mentioned earlier, and we were talking uh, just among ourselves during that last break about uh, some of the issues that are happening with the armadillos and stuff like it's hard to if you live in the city area now that guy must live sort of in the country if he has a barn yeah 
Uh, but if you live in the city, it's harder to uh, to guess where are they. It is. It's harder to pinpoint exactly where they're at. But odds are they're probably living somewhere near woods or somewhere around the edge of a field. You know, in my case, I have a couple acres out back, and there's a nice big open field, and I found the den. I mean, it is actually, you know, it's a it's a pretty large opening. It's probably about a well, two they're foot. good size. And they're a good size animal, yeah. Uh, so they they usually will live in subterranean dens, but they can certainly live in structures or under structures. But it is it's very hard to pinpoint exactly where they're coming from in an urban setting. I've heard, and I don't know if it's accurate. You probably know that they carry some dread disease. They can be a, a vector for for certain diseases. Yeah, you don't necessarily want to pick them up if you if you see them. I don't know exactly which. No, they're not cute and cuddly. They're not. No, they're, they're definitely <laughs> they're no koala bear. That's for sure. So, uh, so stay, stay away from them, really, yeah. but, I mean, don't get close and personal. Yeah, and the odds of you actually getting close and personal are few and far between because they're are they, very skittish. They're very, okay. they, like I said, they're nocturnal, so you're not going to see them during the day. The closest thing you'll ever see to a lot of them is, is dead on the side of the road, unfortunately. Why is that? I think they are, they are very poor-sighted. Uh, you know, they, they're used to using their nose. They smell out insects and grubs. So, you know, when they're crossing the road, they really can't see far away, so... They don't even see you coming, and unfortunately, a lot of them do get hit by cars. Somebody said that they were not real sharp, that they would stand in the road and wait for you to pass, and they would get scared as you drove over them. You yeah. may not have hit them, but they would jump up. They do that as well. Yeah, a lot of times they don't see the vehicle, so they'll freeze. They can hear it. They don't see it. And they do. They can. They, they actually go into a ball-like structure, and they can actually bounce up a little bit. So. And that kills them when they absolutely. hit the car. Unfortunately, I just found out I was checking about the armadillo leprosy leprosy. I thought that may have been it. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear about that in except Bible verses. Yep. And, I and, mean, I, I've never known somebody with leprosy. And if you ever go to Hawaii, do not touch sea turtles, which I made that mistake. You know, sea I was turtles? sea turtles. Yeah, I was at a resort in Hawaii a few do? years ago and they vector leprosy. And sure enough, you know, I was in the water swimming and I saw a giant sea turtle. And I couldn't pass up the opportunity to grab onto the back of it. And I did, and it, it took me for a little ride. But then I got out of the water, and I read a sign. It says, do not touch sea turtles. They vector leprosy. And I was like, oh, oh this was no. a bad decision for Justin. As Justin as I can brought tell, back I'm, to Tennessee leprosy. Yeah, I'm leper-free <laughs> as far as I can tell right now. So, but, yeah. Oh, that's a scary thing to <laughs> think about. Is. Yeah, leprosy is a, like you said, it's a biblical thing. But it is, yeah, it's, it's a nasty disease if you get it. Well, before we go today, what is it, four minutes left in the program? There's so much we need to cover. I uh, want to remind people about tomorrow being the third from the final yes. farmer's market. Come by and see us. We'll have what are they going to find there? You know, they'll have food trucks. They'll have artisans on one side of the community center. And, of course, your traditional farm crops and flowers and all the other wonderful meats and honeys on the other side. So it'll be Friday, Tuesday, and next Friday. And then that is it for the season. We won't have another market again until May of next year. Now, are there going to still be plants for sale like shrubs trees yes and yep. is it too late to plant those? no this is the perfect time of year to plant those type of things so anytime in the fall early winter as long as the ground isn't frozen this is the optimal planting time for our, our shrubs flowers trees things like that so if you are needing to plant uh, or do some decorating around the house uh, adding some shrubbery perfect time should you perfect water time. it or is yeah a little bit of water on the front end but then once they go completely dormant you don't have to worry about it too much uh, but this is the optimal time to do any big planting things like that and before we leave let's remind people again 
You mentioned that December 1st is the deadline. The deadline for Master Gardener applications. So that class, again, will start in January, uh, and we'll be taking applications through December 1st. And the cost is $175, and uh, I'd certainly encourage you, if you're interested in volunteering, giving back to the community, learning a lot, and, and fellowshipping with some wonderful folks, uh, Master Gardeners is a great opportunity. And if you have a desire to really be in that program, uh, it is limited. So if you go over to the Lane Agri-Park and fill out a form and hand it in personally, your chances are a lot better. Absolutely. So uh, head over there. While you're there. <coughs> Sorry, uh, my allergies are so bad this time of year. Uh, while you're over there, though, get, get t- take a look at the soil, the plots of grass. <coughs> Excuse me. You need some bee <coughs> pollen or bee oh, honey. Goodness. Something like that. The weather gets me every year. Yeah, but Mitchell Mote has some wonderful turf plots there. Uh, certainly check those out. Okay. Sounds like uh, the show is ending at the right time. <laughs> it is. Uh, Justin Stefanski is with us this morning from the Rutherford County Agricultural Extension Service. And seriously, uh, this is a, a, a allergy issue. This, uh, I've, I've had this problem, uh, and I've run into a lot of people with allergies. Uh, seriously, I was talking to Zane Cantrell, and Zane says, use local honey. I do. Yeah, and, and he's not said, using enough, apparently. Well, and he, he's talking about, you know, people say within the next county or so, that's okay if you can, if that's as good as you can get. But he said, if you can, within five miles. Absolutely. So, oh, oh, sorry, folks. <laughs> Hang around here. Okay. We better go oh. before we spread germs or something. It's not germs. It's just, uh, it's uncomfortable. Uh, everybody have a super rest of the day.